It is my great pleasure and privilege to greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. I'm really very glad to be here. Turn with me to 1 Kings. And go to verse, 1 Kings 19. And I'm going to start at verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now turn over to Isaiah 12. And we'll start at verse 1 again. And in that day shalt thou say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, he has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things, and this is known in all the earth. Cry and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Which place are you in this morning? We should be in the second place, shouldn't we? We've just had the Thanksgiving holiday, and people all around are thankful and looking to God. Now we're looking forward to Christmas, to the celebration of Jesus' birth, and hopefully meeting with family, and people exchange gifts, and all the lights are all around outside, right? It's so festive and happy. Shouldn't we be in that, that second place? This morning, this morning, I was so moved. Our superintendent couldn't get through the story of the crucifixion because it touched him so much because he realized it just hit him. This was about me. Shouldn't we be like that all the time? Shouldn't, shouldn't we just always be just at the verge of tears because so much has been done for us. So much has been given to us. 
Cry and shout, for the great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. So is that where we are? But that's when Satan attacks, isn't it? When we feel like we've had a really wonderful time here, and, and now this is a good time for us just to, oh, we can just kind of take a breather, and, and we can rest in all this joy of the season and the things that have been going well for us. And, and that's when Satan attacks. Where had Elijah just been? He had just been at the very center of one of God's greatest displays of power in the Old Testament. Elijah himself, with his own hand, had killed all the prophets of Baal. And then he outran Ahab's chariot all the way back to the city. And suddenly, he just crumbles at the threat from this woman. He really didn't get time to rest, did he? John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. In John 16, 1 through 3, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have known not the Father nor me. Acts 20, 29 through 30, Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. James 4, 1, James writes to us, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? And in 1 John 3.13, John says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. There are so many more verses just like that that we could look at here. Jesus and the apostles tell us to expect Satan to attack us from without the church, from within the church, that we'll even bicker and strive among ourselves because of our own human failings. He will attack when things seem to be going well, as he came to tempt Jesus after his fast in the desert. And he will come to double down his attacks when we're already struggling. We'll be attacked personally. Those we love will be attacked. And those who are weak in any way. How do we respond? Do we have an answer? 1 Peter 3, 14 through 19, 16 says, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So this morning, we're going to take a look at have a ready answer, Satan's attacks. What will we do when Satan attacks us? And again, Jesus warns us that there will be attacks, there will be persecutions, there will be obstacles in our Christian walks. Matthew 18, 7, Jesus says, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable the stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person through whom the stumbling blocks come. Does he tell us how to get through them? Did he give us some armor, weapons, or tools to resist? Yes, he did. We have the Holy Spirit. We have prayer. We have the preparation of his word. We have our faith. We have the church. And your children just named all those things. It's lovely. But this morning, we're just going to focus on that last one. When Satan attacks, we have each other. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So, we love each other. Now, that's nice. But how does that help when Satan's attacking? How does the fact that we love each other help us when we come under the attacks of Satan? We can look at nature. When a pride of lions attacks a herd of antelope, they'll spread out kind of around the herd, and then they attack suddenly. They just burst from cover into the middle of the herd, and the herd scatters, every animal for itself. It becomes easy for the lions to cut out a weak or a slower animal one a little too old or a little too young from the herd, and kill it. Well, the lions get to eat, and the herd's made a little stronger now, right? That's what they tell us. That's how nature works. But up in the north, there's this little animal. I guess you could call it little. It's a little buffalo-looking thing. It's called a muskox. And the wolf packs come around and they try to prey on the muskox herds. They try to surround them and they rush in and snap at them and they try to get them to run and split up like the antelope run from the lions. But muskoxen don't run. They have little short legs. It wouldn't do them a whole lot of good anyway. So what they do is they stand together. They pull in together shoulder to shoulder and make a wall with all their little ones either in between them or if they're backed up against something, they'll put the little ones behind them. And any wolf that comes too close is in for a good stomping or a face full of horns. They protect each other. They, they work together to protect one another, build each other up. Jesus clearly tells us which model the church is supposed to be like. So how does that work? Let's turn over to 1 John.
And again, we'll start at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. John tells us that through his relationship with Jesus, we heard, we saw, we handled him. They were close to him. They were right next to him. They could touch him. He has fellowship with both Jesus and the Father. If we share that fellowship, then we also have fellowship with John and with each other. We have fellowship. Fellowship's a strong word. It's more than just a friendship. It's a partnership. Fellows are bound together by a common goal or a common work, and they live and work together to benefit each other as they move forward toward that goal. So we are united then, bound together, tied together in Jesus. The rope that holds us all together is Jesus. Going on. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So as we grow in our Christian walk, and grow closer to God, the bonds of our fellowship are also being strengthened. As we go closer to God, we come closer to one another. Being closer to God knits us even closer together. Now flip over to chapter 2. And we'll skip down to verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, so notice this. Loving our brothers and sisters is not optional, okay? We can't love God and not love our brothers and sisters, not love each other. To not love them is to walk away from Jesus and go back into the dark, right? Let's give it down to verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Love is exclusive. James reminded us that it's our desires for the things of the world that causes us to have strife with our brothers and sisters in the church. If we love God, we love God only. Now turn over to chapter 3. And start again at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Now skip down to verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. So he who does not love his brother is not of God. Just as the unrighteous are not of God. They belong to Satan. Going on. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this is why we can't have friendship with the world. The world hates us because we love the brotherhood. You cannot love both or desire affections for both and live in any kind of peace yourself. You'll have constant conflict there because the world hates the thing that you love. Now to verse 16. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has his world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ 
and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So to have Jesus in us, to have his spirit in us, we must keep his commandment to love one another. Now turn over to chapter 4. And we'll go down to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So we cannot say that we love God and not love our brothers and our sisters. So, what does all that mean? What does it mean to love your brother and sister? What does it mean to love one another? Why did I just read you three quarters of First John? And by the way, your homework is to go back and read the rest. Just because I skipped over it doesn't mean it's not valuable. It just means it didn't fit my purpose right now. <laughs> so, John tells us this is both an old commandment and a new commandment. And so it is. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall... Did I skip a page? No. <laughs> you shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this should be a clear instruction. right? Paul tells us, 
No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. You, you love yourself, and that's the way we're supposed to love our neighbors. But what if you don't love yourself? What if you, what if you hate yourself? And we live in a time that fosters self-hatred. And you see a lot of people who show it. In, in the way they treat themselves. You see the tattoos, the piercing, the people cutting themselves, the self-destructive behavior. They hate themselves. If that's how you feel about yourself, well, then how do you know how to love your neighbor? How can you, how can you even do that? John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. In John 5, 12, he said again, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. So our example for how to love isn't in how we treat ourselves. It's in how Jesus treated us. We, we have the model for how to love. So is this a new commandment then? As I have loved you, how does Jesus love us? But John told us, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Unconditionally, intentionally, more than his own life. That's how he loved us. Even to forgive us for what he went through for us. Sometimes don't you feel when you do something for somebody, you still kind of hold it against them, even though you did it because you love them. But I shouldn't have had to do that. Jesus, he didn't have that. He forgave us for what he had to go through to keep us. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So what does that look like? When, when we do that, when we try to live that way, what does that look like in, in practice? How do we and when can we love each other intentionally, sacrificially, unconditionally. It, it turns out we have a lot of opportunities because we live in a fallen world. We're beset on all sides by temptations and cares and we're surrounded by people who are trying to navigate through the same mess. And when our brothers and sisters struggle and when they stumble and fall, that's our time to show that we love them the way Jesus loved us. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a common thing for people to fall. There are stumbling blocks. They're everywhere. And when we're struggling is when we're most unlovable. So Jesus gave us instructions for this specific time in our relationships. We all probably have Matthew 18 about memorized, right? We use it all the time. It's, it's almost like a, a verb to us, right? People say, go and Google it. We say, Matthew 18 it, right? You have a problem with this person, you should Matthew 18 it. So, so let's, let's read that, that scripture. Turn over to Matthew 18.
and go down to verse 15. If your brother sins, go and tell the ministry so they can deal with it. But if the ministry will not hear, noise it about to as many as possible until the congregation is in an uproar and they have no choice but to do something. And if they still refuse to act, tell it to the bishop so the bishop can make them resolve the issue to your satisfaction. But that's not what it says. Is my, is my modern meno translation incorrect? Hmm. Well, maybe they're just looking at the practice. Is that how, maybe how we practice Matthew 18? Does that? No, we, we don't do that, do we? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So we agree, right? That's not what it says. And, and that's not how we practice Matthew 18. So let's back up a little bit and see what the Lord says. Go back up to verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 21. And Jesus says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountains, and go and search for the one that is lost? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven for one of these little ones to perish. Now since we've already addressed one translation issue, I'm reading from the new, this is the New American Standard. Uh, because I just want to have a modern translation that we don't have any words we have to stumble over. My personal preference would always be to read the King James, but that's okay. So let's emphasize that last sentence there. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven for one of these little ones to perish. God expects his sheep to be returned to him. So Jesus gives us this, this careful process for dealing with one another, a process that works. Okay? So remember... They're God's sheep, and he wants all of his sheep returned to him. They're not my sheep. They're not Brother Joshua's sheep. We get the blessing of being able to care for one another, but the sheep all belong to God. So going on. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So first, search yourself. What is your goal when you go to your brother, when you have a problem with your brother? Do you want your brother back? If we have obeyed Jesus, as John explained to us, and we live in fellowship with our brothers and sisters and show love to one another all of the time, then most of the time, almost all of the time, you will gain your brother and sister. When you tell them what the problem is, it will be resolved. You love each other, and you want to work it out. We don't believe that. Are we better judges of human nature than Jesus? 
But people will still say, I can't talk to them. They won't listen to me. They don't respect me. They they don't like me. Whatever I say is just going to make it worse. So you don't love one another then, right? If you can't talk, if you can't get together and talk to each other about these things. What did John say about not loving one another? You're going to have to start by healing that relationship, both for yourself and for your brother and sister. That broken relationship, that fact that you don't love each other, that may even be the stumbling block that caused your brother to fall. So if you don't feel like you can go to your brother, if you don't feel like that love is there, you've got to get it there. That's your first task. Oh, but you do love them. Well, then why are you afraid? All these things say, I'm afraid. They won't listen. They won't this. They won't that. But what did John tell us? There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. If I love my brother, whatever I think is going to happen, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to go and talk to him anyway. I'm going to summon up my best love face and put it on, and I'm going to go in there, gently talk to my brother in love. Because love casts out fear. The love is more important to me than the flips my stomach is doing while we're trying to talk. But if he does not, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. You know, notice that last part of that verse is a quote, and we read it earlier in Leviticus. So notice here why you first approach your brother in private. All right, Jesus' quote is from Deuteronomy. That's Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not rise up against a person regarding any wrongdoing or any sin that he commits. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So you go back to your brother with another witness. Why? What does that mean? You, when you go to your brother, you're a single witness. You're a single witness against your brother. If someone else had made an accusation about your brother to you, they're a single witness. You have to go to your brother in private if only because you might be wrong. What you saw or what you heard may not really be what happened. And before you would involve anyone else, you certainly want to ask your brother, brother, is this really what's going on with you? Or brother, someone told me this. That's not true, is it? Because you love your brother. You want to know that it's not true. You want things to be, to be right. If we approach our brother and sister in meekness and in humility, then they see that we mean good to them and not harm. And then they can be open to us. Then they can say, yeah, this is going on with me. I could really use some help. You go to listen, not just to tell. You don't just storm in there and say, you've got to get your life right. You go and say, why does it look like your life isn't right? What can I do? It's easy for one person to make a mistake. 
or to misunderstand or even to deceive themselves. Maybe you are jealous of this person or maybe you don't really like something they did a long time ago and it's eaten at you. And We have to be careful. We have to be humble. Bringing more witnesses doesn't mean a stronger accusation. More witnesses means better listening, more wisdom, clearer discernment, and better persuasion if we're having trouble bringing our brother around. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So let's be clear. First of all, when you refuse to talk to your brother or your sister yourself, and you, in, you instead tell someone else, or you go and ask the ministry to handle it, you've decided to skip all these attempts to win back your brother and sister for Christ and proceed straight to punishment. If you skip these steps, if you don't go to your brother yourself, that's what you're deciding to do. You just want him to be punished. You don't want to show him the love we're commanded to. Why don't you love them anymore? Why don't you love your brother enough to go and talk to him? Why don't you love your sister enough to go and talk to them and try to work it out? Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now, what does this mean, and why is it here? in this discussion of church discipline. If you are following the Spirit, this has already been done in heaven. If you are following the Spirit, when you go to talk to your brother or your sister, the result is already done in heaven. The sin is bound and the love is loosed. The sin is contained, is stopped, and love is let run over all of you. If you and your brother or sister pray together for their victory, what does Jesus promise here? You will have it. When you come to your brother or sister and they say, I can't get out of this, pray with me, and you pray for their victory, they will have it. Jesus promises you that. Why would you ever miss an opportunity to go to your brother and sister in love and experience that power? To feel the love of Jesus in that way. To see your friend, your loved one, have victory. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me, and I still forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. And in Luke, it's 70 times seven times. Ever practical, Peter wants to know, how long is this going to take? Okay, how long do we have to drag this out? You know, this isn't a matter of pulling up in front of your brother's house in the church bus, and, and you go in and talk to him, and that doesn't work, and you go back, you get two more people off the bus, and you go in and talk to him, and that doesn't work, and the whole church goes in, and 15 minutes, excommunication, we're done. Okay. That's not what this is all about. This is going to take time. Love is a long-term commitment. In fellowship, we commit to stand by each other and to build each other up through seven falls, 70 falls, 490 falls in a day or more, whatever it takes, because it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven for one of these little ones to perish. We're still not sure how this works. I mean, what are you supposed to say? Where, where do you start? John and Jesus both make it pretty clear. You start with, I love you. Brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. From there, it's a two-way thing. You talk, you listen. You talk, you listen. Listening means listening, right? You know those people who when you're talking, all they're doing is formulating their answer, right? They're not listening to what you're saying. No, listening means you're taking in what they're saying. You think about it, and then you talk. How does it go? We have two ears and one mouth because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. I've never gotten, quite gotten a hold of that one, but I think that is the way it's supposed to work. You listen because you think the best of your brother or your sister, and you want to hear their side. You want to hear if it's just wrong. You want to hear what they're struggling with. You want to know what's going wrong in their life that you're even having this conversation. A lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, I hope it's not my fault that you're doing this. You know what? If you think that, it is. All right, just look at it that way and go and try to make it right because you had a hand in it. Everyone makes their own decision. Everyone has their own steps. But if you encouraged them, if they got to the selling block and you pushed them, that's on you, right? If you're thinking that might be part of the problem, then just go and make it right and, and talk to the person. Apologize. We'll turn over to Galatians 6. And again at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So what does that mean? I mean, here at the beginning, he's saying, bear one another's burdens, and then at the end, he says, each one shall bear his own load. Well, first, when a brother or sister comes to you, you need to listen. All right, your brother has fallen, and he's come to you for help, and you need to listen to him. And you listen to him because you think the best you can of your brother, and you believe his profession of love. And you trust them enough that if it were you, you would be willing to talk as well. What is this considering yourself, lest you also be tempted? So your brother sinned somehow. Are, are we thinking, is what's in mind here that you might be tempted to do the same thing that he did? Probably not, because you can see the trouble he's in. So even if that is something that tempts you, that he has done, right now you're not so tempted by it anymore, right? You can see the cost. So no, it's more than that. It's lest you might be tempted to be proud because, hey, I didn't do that. I may have this problem or that problem, but I didn't do what he did, right? That's pride. And pride is pretty much the sin that leads to all the others. So instead, we want to be gentle and watch for our brother and care for them and love them. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, this conversation is possible only because you love one another. You can go to your brother with a problem because you love him. Your brother can come to you when he has a problem because he knows you love him and you'll do the best for him. So why is all this important? Why, why does this, what does this have to do when Satan attacks? How does it help us? Well, your love saves your brother. Do you understand that? One minute, he's struggling alone. He's fallen. He's in sin. He's in danger of the fire. And the next minute, you're with him. He has love. He has the assurance of salvation of Jesus being with him because you're there. Your love comforts and keeps and strengthens your brothers and sisters. I won't make you turn there, but 2 Chronicles 28.22 says, And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. So you know, Ahaz wasn't exactly the, you know, of the top of the list of kings in Scripture, right? And as things got worse, Ahaz's answer was to sin even more. He didn't turn to the Lord. He turned away. Hurting people 
can do irrational things. And nothing hurts more than thinking that no one loves you. Why would anyone stay in a church, in a family, anywhere where they thought that no one loved them? Does it seem like maybe someone around you is acting out just to dare somebody to say something to them? You know, maybe they're really just testing to see, does anybody really care about me? Ahaz decided God didn't care about him. And so he just flew against him more and more. Your brother and your sister can't see God's love without your love. Your love saves because our love completes God's love. 1 John 4.12, he told us, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Perfected, made complete. God's love is perfected in us? How can that be? Perfected, completed. God loves us. Jesus gave himself for us. The spirit is within us. And yet God's love is completed by his people loving one another. That's the last part that closes the circle. You are part of God's love. You were created to be a part of his love. Our love shows Christ's love. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Until Christ returns, the world sees his love in our love for each other. Are we bickering, warring, accusing, striving, hating one another, then no one will be saved because no one can see God's love. You are the picture of God's love in this world. But if we love the Lord, we'll love one another no matter how unlovable because he first loved us when we were unlovable, and the world will see that love, and more and more of God's sheep can be brought home. Shall we have a song?